This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. the Bama Online Podcast, Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, as we move through another week. We get a few days closer to that September the 26th season opener for the Alabama Crimson Tide in Columbia, Missouri, against the Tigers of M-I-Z-Z-O-U. I think that's how it goes, Charlie Potter. Did I get that right, or what? how does that work with Mizzou? I think that's it. Honestly, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> this will be this will be my first trip to Columbia, um, and and then I mean Missouri fans didn't travel all that well to to Tuscaloosa the couple of times they played. Now, I do thinking back now that you say that whenever they played in the SEC championship game, I think that's how it goes. But that's been I mean that's been a minute since since they played. So I yeah, mean, there's no but, shame by the way in not being sure if that's how it goes <laughs> because uh, I think most folks out there outside of uh, Columbia, Missouri, and that fan base probably aren't all that certain. And look, you know, we talk about certainty, uncertainty uh, as we get into the podcast, Charlie, and we're going to get into some specific scenarios, okay, for the 2020 season. So we've got that coming up for you here on the podcast, but uh, some housekeeping type items. And, you know, we talked about this before the podcast, Charlie, it just seems like at least in terms of the narrative and the vibe coming from the program and over there at the Malmore Athletic Facility, it seems pretty positive in terms of how this team has been able to navigate the COVID-19 virus. Now, elsewhere, you hear from Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Auburn is paused. We know LSU has had issues. Um, what do you attribute this to? Do you think it's really been this smooth of a process for Alabama or do you think this is perhaps the benefit of controlling the narrative as much as Nick Saban and Alabama has no I mean they they have been quiet but I think they've done a decent job and and had a good plan moving forward uh, about this I think the players have approached it uh, pretty well I mean they you know we've seen teams like Tennessee and, and LSU and other teams across the country really be hit by just a, a wave of, of cases and, and Alabama is not impervious to it. They just, you know, they haven't had as many, you know, Nick Saban basically said they've had a minimal amount of players who have tested positive. And, um, I believe he said that, um, they had 1% from the 4th of July to when school started. Obviously we know that there's an influx of students coming in Tuscaloosa. Uh, we've seen the, the numbers and the reports that UA has put out there with just an influx of cases. And, you know, that number's picked up a little bit, but it hasn't been 
much. And most of the guys that have been sick in, in Tuscaloosa or have been tested positive, they've been asymptomatic. So they just had to be quarantined. So that's always good. And um, I think that's the big thing for for me that the takeaway from it is that the guys that have missed practice, it's been sporadic. It hasn't just been a big cluster. And, you know, that's that's good news for Alabama. Of course, things can change. They're they're preparing and, and trying to create depth to to combat what could be, you know, uh, an unforeseen circumstance. But right now it's been pretty good for them in terms of just how they've handled it and the, the outcome of those results. Yeah, it seems that way. Although we also know Nick Saban could take six guys and practice this afternoon for all we know. Uh, he, he's going to practice if he's got guys available. But what you are seeing is scrimmages and at places like Tennessee and Auburn, as we mentioned earlier uh, there's been situations where this past weekend Tennessee couldn't scrimmage uh, because of a, a lack of available players. And uh, that doesn't, again, seem to be the issue here at Alabama. And with that, Alabama expected to get that second scrimmage underway on Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Um, you know, we heard some interesting comments, I thought, Charlie, from Nick Saban on Tuesday night. He was asked about the quarterback situation and I thought his answer pretty much laid it out for you in terms of pecking order right now. And um, is that about as close as we're going to get to Nick Saban just kind of laying out one, two, three at a position? I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I asked him about that just because they didn't scrimmage this past weekend, but it was about as damn close as you can get to a scrimmage. Game-like, right? Yeah. Game-like situations. He called it a simulated game. And uh, it sounds like all three of the quarterbacks got uh, you know plenty of opportunities to to lead the team down the field. And you know, judging by what he said, um, you know he he said that Mac Jones has had a good week. He had a really good uh, day on Saturday. And that first scrimmage, um, you know, I don't think anybody really played the way they had wanted them to from a from an offensive standpoint outside of maybe the the running backs. But the the transition and the improvement they made from that first scrimmage to Saturday's game like practice. Um, you know, it was substantial and they want to kind of continue to take those steps. And you know, he proceeded to go on and talk about Bryce Young, how he's shown that he's a, a talented guy. He just has to obviously get more knowledge of the, the offense and experience out there and be a little bit more consistent in terms of his execution. And then Paul Tyson, he's a guy that um, has made significant improvement uh, from last year being his first year in the program. So all three of those guys need, you know, to continue to improve and, and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, he was, you could tell when he was answering it, he was very calculated. He took his time. He, he didn't really stammer around. He was trying to think of the way to say it without completely revealing it. But yeah, it was a, it was a pretty clear cut answer, just how he's assessed these guys and how they performed in those game like situations. Yeah. Considering we're two and a half, still two and a half weeks away from kickoff in Columbia, Missouri, I thought your question and his answer uh, told you a lot about the the pecking order. We didn't hear any talk about needing to win the team, right? It seemed like we heard that for a span of about, what, two or three quarterback competitions. I think that obviously uh, isn't an issue for Mac, especially with the way he performed a year ago. And look, you know, you can just look at the level of experience and time in the program to sort of figure out where you're at at that position. And it's been the belief all along that more experienced players were going to benefit from the situation as we moved ahead towards the the 2020 season. Now, 
What we do have for you today on the Bama Online Podcast is some potential scenarios. They're really either ors, and we're going to throw these around, have a little fun with them. And, Charlie, what we're going to start with is on the offensive side of the ball, a couple of really prolific skill players coming back for the Alabama Crimson Tide. So I ask you, more likely to occur during this upcoming season, Najee Harris with another 1,200-yard rushing season or Devontae Smith with another 1,000-yard receiving season. And this is a little bit tricky in that we're talking about a 10-game regular season instead of 12. So which way are you going there, Charlie? Yeah, this one was tough. And like you said, you, you have to keep in the back of your head that this isn't a normal year. Now, Alabama is in good shape to, to play in Atlanta for the SEC championship game and you know potentially the college football playoff. But um, I, I tried not to get – I tried to pick one in each one of them. There were some that were kind of a toss up for me. I think they could be, you know, both, um, they could, could both come to fruition, but I sided with Devonte Smith and I think Najee Harris is going to have a great year. Uh, I think he's a guy that could, you know, play well enough to get invited to New York, but you just look at what Devonte Smith did last year really is the, the number three receiver. You still had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs in that offense. And, and Devonte had, you know, 1250 yards on 68 receptions with Judy and Ruggs both gone those some of those targets that went to them are going to go to number six and you know Jalen Waddle and, and John Mechie Slade Bolden Javon Baker all those guys are going to reap the benefit of that as well but you know Devontae Smith had a really great season with very limited uh, amount of receptions I mean he he had multiple games of 200 yards and yeah, he was he's just a guy that I think given more opportunities he could easily get back to that 1000 yard mark I'm going to go Najee here, although I think both are likely to happen. I'm going to go Najee. I haven't gotten the sense this preseason, and it's not a knock on the other backs because you hear some positive things about Brian Robinson and maybe Trey Sanders uh, starting to to take steps forward, those young backs that have come on uh, and come in with Roydell Williams, Chase McClellan, Kyle Edwards. But I just think there's still – a big enough gap between Najee and the rest of those backs that he's going to carry most of the load. I think the opportunities are still going to be there for Najee Harris this upcoming season. Uh, I think Devonte. here's what I like about Devonte is that even if it's more centric on the running game this year than it's been the last couple of years, man, Devonte Smith's shown you, Charlie, he doesn't need a ton of targets to get his yards numbers right I mean he can go four for 120 on you real quick and so that makes it an interesting choice there I'll go Najee and I I like the Devontae Smith pick as well sticking with offensive targets in the skill position areas Charlie more likely to happen in 2020 Miller Forrestal from the tight end position with 30 or more receptions on the season or John Mechie with 30 or more grabs in 2020. Yeah, for me, I, I think I would side with Mechie here. You look at, obviously, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell are back, and those are going to be your top two receivers. But you look at the the number three and four receivers from last year in terms of just receptions, and um, Alabama had guys with 40 and, and 33 receptions in the three and four hole. So I think John Mechie could, could easily accomplish that. You know, I think that the interesting thing with Miller Forstall, and I, I don't think that you know, I'm just brushing him off and saying he's not going to get 30 catches, is 
we didn't really get to see him play much with uh, Mac Jones. So say Mac Jones is a starter for the full season. Uh, you look at the Michigan game. He had three catches and a touchdown. And so I, I think you know Miller could be almost like a security blanket of sorts for Mac. But I, I think if I'm just trying to pick one of the two, I would side with John Mechie as that number three receiver to easily get 30 catches. Yeah, it's tough to go against Mechie there. You know, I think – I think Irv Smith's 2018 might have altered the expectations <laughs> of the fan base for the position a little bit to the unrealistic side. Because really, historically, when you look at the tight end spot at Alabama in the Nick Saban era, it hasn't really been a 30 or more reception type guy in that spot. And Miller, to this point, if we're talking about 30 or more in 2020, he'd essentially have to double his previous season high, I believe it is. So I'm with you. I think with Miller and the tight ends in general, Carl Tucker coming into that mix, probably more of a quality over quantity approach. You know, both those guys, when you talk about Forstall and Tucker in terms of career numbers, pretty good ratio of catch to touchdown catches. Um, so, so the frequency there is nice, but in terms of just all out, targets and, and catches, uh, I, I'm, I'm more likely to go to, with John Mechie there as well. Next up, Charlie, we're going to move over to the defensive side of the ball. A highly anticipated season. It has been for Christian Barmore throughout the offseason. Christian Barmore with eight or more sacks in 2020. Or Patrick Sertan II with four or more interceptions. Which one you got there? I would side more with Barmore, and primarily it's because I don't think opposing offenses are going to target number two much in that secondary. I think they're going to look at guys like Josh Job, those youngsters at star in the slot, and uh, and those safeties on the back end. I just think that with Patrick Sertan, I mean, he's the veteran of the group. He's a guy that has experience, and I just I think that they're going to try to avoid him at all costs. And you look at just defensive linemen when it comes to sacks, and outside of last year because Alabama just really didn't have a, a pass rush at all consistently uh, from his guys up front. A uh, defensive lineman has had eight and a half sacks or more each season since 2014. Now, granted, you're looking at a guy like Quentin Williams. You're looking at Jonathan Allen. You know, there, There's some big names there, and Christian Barmore has that potential. The, the key for him is to be able to keep his emotions in check, uh, to, to continue to, to learn the defense and things like that. He has all the potential in the world. He's just got to put it all together, where it's, whether it's on the field or off the field. So I would side with Barmore there, but that's more just because I don't think Patrick Sertan is going to be tested much by opposing teams this fall. I'd like Patrick Sertan better in this scenario as the pick if he was going to play some star, right, too, yeah. and, and get inside – you know, where you get some tip balls, you get some things going on where the opportunities are more there for you. I agree with you. If he's strictly on the outside, boy, Josh Job or Marcus Banks or whoever it is on that other side is going to get plenty of looks, I got to think, from opposing offenses. Um, you know, if Christian Barmore does post eight or more sacks this season, that'll be more than the entire defensive line for Alabama had a year ago, just seven and a half last year. And so you're right. When you think of Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and uh, Jaron Reed, Ashawn Robinson, Quentin Williams, man, you think about pass rushers uh, along that defensive line before you get to the outside linebacker positions. But I agree with you. I, I don't think it's anything physical with Christian Barmore. 
in terms of him potentially getting to eight or more, yeah, we've talked about it so many times on the podcast. Uh, for Christian, I think is uh, more of a question of can he achieve a level of sort of maturity and then sustain it and, and carry it throughout the entire course of a season. If he's able to do that and stay engaged and keep the main thing the main thing, there's no doubt physically he's got the the ability to produce at that level. We're going to head to a break, Charlie. When we come back, we got three more scenarios for you to consider. We'll do that when the BamaOnline.com podcast returns right after this. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryder, senior analyst for BOL, joined by team beat reporter Charlie Potter. We're looking at some either ors, some scenarios involving the Alabama Crimson side for the 2020 season. Charlie, let's uh, let's get into some special teams a little bit. And no, you don't have to shut us down. We're not going to talk about kickers or punters, all right? Let's talk about the potential for Jalen Waddell to return two or more kicks for scores this season or Ali Caho with two or more block punts. Which of those two do you think is most likely to happen? So with Waddle, you say kicks. Does that also include punts? I'm gonna I'm gonna let you put punts and kickoffs oh. in there. You have to check me, you know, after we talked about Bryce Young yeah. you know, on the on yeah. one of these and, and uh, threw the holder at you late. No, this you can include <laughs> you can include the kickoffs and punts together in this. Okay. Well, just to be clear, I have seen Mac Jones hold, so it sounds <laughs> like that that'll continue from last year. But if you put punts in there, I think Jalen Waddle, uh, I would have to side with him. Now, you know, I don't know how many special teams coordinator and coaches are going to be dumb enough to kick him the football uh, this fall just because we've seen what he's able to do. But when they do, I mean, he has an opportunity to take every one of them to the house. Alabama, uh, under Jeff Banks, has done a really good job of, of blocking for their returners, and, and Jalen Waddle knows how to find a hole easily. So I think he's a guy that – you know, for me, that one that one would be a, a slam dunk, and that's no knock on Ali Kaho. I think that he's a guy that um, he's a special teams monster. I think he blocked three punts last year to lead the nation, and um, you know that's probably a role that he's going to fill again. Now he doesn't have his running mate and Tyrell Shavers back there who scooped up a lot of those blocked punts, but I'm sure one of these young guys is going to come in and and help him out. It sounds like there's there's plenty of guys that can fill that role. So I think Kaho could could do it again, but I think you know more teams are going to see what he was able to do last year and maybe put an extra guy on number 10. But I would, I would just have to side with Waddle just because of his explosive nature. This is an area where one guy could help scratch the other guy's back, right? Because you become so fixated in punting the football with Jalen Waddle back there that you don't want to uh, give him the opportunity that maybe uh, your protection uh, isn't shored up as, as good as it should be. And, you know, Jeff Banks historically at other places too, his units have had success blocking punts. Ali Cahoe's perfect in that role. I'm going to go with Ali Cahoe with two or more block punts. And in large part, because of what you just talked about, especially on punts and even on kickoffs, um, just, I, I, I can't imagine teams being dumb enough this year. <laughs> to kick the football intentionally at least to Jalen Waddle. You know, he'll still get his opportunities here or there. Um, but I think the fixation on Jalen may actually help Ali 
uh, with some some pump block opportunities once again in 2020. Defensive side of the ball, we go to once again, Charlie. Dylan Moses with 80 or more tackles this season, or LeBron Ray with eight or more tackles for loss? See, uh, we talked about it at the beginning with, with Najee and Devontae. I think both of those were tough, but this one... I think both of these are going to happen because if you look at Dylan Moses, I know it's a 10-game season, but factor in you know a postseason and however many games Alabama can potentially play. Uh, the the year that Dylan Moses was healthy and fully in the starting lineup in 2018, he had 86 tackles, and that's with a guy like Mac Wilson uh, back there as the mic. So with him being there and, and potentially being a guy that puts his hand in the dirt and gets after the passer on third down in some situations, I think Dylan Moses can easily get to 80 tackles. And then I think LeBron Ray, you know, now that he's healthy, eight and a half tackles for loss, I think is easily uh, something he can accomplish this fall. I mean, he's a guy that I think is out, has been Alabama's best defensive lineman uh, through camp. He's been a, a leader out there and a guy they're going to depend on. And having him back, you know, we, we talked about a lack of pass rush from a defensive line perspective last year, I think is, is really big for that. So not only getting after the quarterback, but, you know, stopping running backs in the backfield is going to be something I think LeBron Ray really helps out with this fall. So I think both of them happen. If I had to pick one that, you know, I'd have more confidence in, I would side with Dylan Moses just because I think he's going to be all over the field this fall and, and ready to get back out there. But yeah, I think, I think both of these guys can definitely accomplish these things. Interesting. Sort of the X factor in all this is obviously both these guys coming off injury and sort of what they look like and how they've responded to that. I'm going to go with LeBron Ray. Um, you look at his, it's kind of a smallish sample size because of the injuries he's been through the last couple of three years, but his tackle for loss to tackle ratio is pretty good in what he's been able to do to this point. And I think Christian Harris may have a say in some of those tackles from the weak side potential. What do you, I mean, what do you, I, I kind of considered Christian Harris in, in this as much as anything, um, you know, being freed up, perhaps playing as much as, you know, as much as even Dylan Moses does, depending on how they get personnel incorporated into the various packages but uh yeah i'm with you though i think both are very likely to happen i'm gonna do LeBron ray there as my pick as we wrap it up charlie in our scenarios that we are considering today alabama will have one or more losses to sec west opponents or will alabama be more likely to have one or more losses to sec east opponents and yes charlie you can include the SEC championship game scenario potentially in all this if you'd like as well. I would side with the SEC West just because there's, I think it's a, a deeper division. Obviously, from the East, you have Georgia on Alabama's schedule. Tennessee's obviously there, but the rest don't really put much fear in your heart. Missouri, Kentucky, uh, it's, it's just not, it's just not that scary. And you look at the SEC West. You have LSU, you have Auburn, you have Texas A&M, you have Lane Kiffin back at Ole Miss. I don't think that you know Kiff's going to pull an upset in year one, but uh, um, you know it's he he knows this Alabama system and knows Nick Saban. So I think if I were going to pick one, I would pick the SEC West. But I think Alabama, if it can stay healthy and continue to to manage this uh, pandemic the way it has, I think it has a really good shot of of going undefeated in this ten game schedule. It's going to be tough. I mean, this is going to be. Uh, one of the toughest schedules we've seen Alabama face in a long time because they're only playing SEC teams. 
but it's spread out well enough where they don't have very many back-to-back situations of, of tough games. So I think with, you know, Georgia's going to be one of their toughest tests. They obviously have to have a, a quarterback that hasn't been there as long as a guy like Jamie Newman and, and JT Daniels. But just for me, I, I think just the more um, tough opponents the SEC West presents, I would, I would side with that. Have opt-outs been friendlier to any team in college football than Alabama? I guess you have to include, really, though, Auburn and Florida in that because both Auburn and Florida are considered, obviously, legitimate contenders. And both those teams also see uh, Georgia with the opt-out situation of Jamie Newman at quarterback and then LSU with the opt-outs, plural, that the Tigers have sustained here in the last month or so. Um, yeah, if LSU still had Jamar Chase, Tyler Shelvin, uh, you know, the the, the, the guys that, that, that were going to be a big, big part of that team, uh, it would be even easier for me to go with the SEC West. And as it sits right now, I think Alabama is going to sweep the West. You, know, you get A&M at home, get Auburn at home, LSU weakened significantly. Uh, and then Georgia, though, coming in here with so much uncertainty uh, at the quarterback position. And I worry about Georgia in terms of, once again, explosiveness on offense. Hasn't had enough of that the last couple of years. You've seen the change at offensive coordinator. But uh, is JT Daniels really going to be good to go? The SC transfer for the dogs behind center? Um I'm still going to go with the the SEC West, uh, even with the SEC championship game scenario in there. I'm going to side with you. I'm going to go with the West again. It would have been a lot easier to go with the West here if LSU were in 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 in, in full form there, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway, Charlie. Yeah, and you you look at it just what Alabama is facing in past years. When's the last time they lost to an SEC East team? 2010, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean. You don't. You look at just the regular season losses Alabama's piled up, which is very few and far between. But it's Auburn, it's LSU. Most recently, it's it's Texas A&M when Johnny Manziel comes to town. It's back to back years losing to Ole Miss. I mean, Alabama when it slips up, it, it slips up against teams within its own division, and sometimes they're kind of a surprise. And not saying that you know any of these teams um, aren't going to be on Alabama's radar, but you know you you look at it and. They are some of the teams are weaker because of the opt outs. LSU is just, I mean, it's lost so much from that championship team. It's going to be almost unidentifiable uh, this mm-hmm. fall. So I, I just think you look at history and and things like that, and that's that's why it's another reason you side with the the SEC West. LSU on Wednesday announced uh, what twenty five percent capacity for home games at Tiger Stadium. Going to have twenty five thousand. We hope anyway on November the fourteenth. Uh, in Baton Rouge for that matchup. And uh, I'm guessing, though, that the in-stadium beer sales will still be in effect. What do you think, Charlie? You think you'll be able to get an ice cold Abita Turbo Dog maybe in mid-November? Probably so. I mean, you got to make money somehow <laughs> if you're cutting the capacity. You, you let the beer flow, and the, those Louisianians are going to purchase it. That's for no sure. No tailgating. No tailgating at LSU. Wow, man. That's going to be the most eerie thing about all this, isn't it? I mean, when you roll down to campus for an Alabama home game, October the 3rd, with Texas A&M in town, and that campus expected to be pretty much quiet. Now, the Strip, uh, 
I'm sure will still be rocking and rolling, and I'm sure downtown will be rocking and rolling. But the quad and sort of the just all-around buzz that typically overtakes Tuscaloosa and the campus area, for a matchup like that, I mean, for Texas A&M, for Georgia in here, for Auburn in here, that that's going to be the strangest thing about all this, isn't it? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna suck, really, just because the pageantry and the the atmosphere yeah. of these college football games is what makes it exciting. And you know, I, I take a, a back route to to Bryant Denny Stadium. I go down fifteenth and and cut down tenth, and then you know, cut down some back roads to get to the parking lot right next to the stadium. But I really think that with all these rules and no tailgating and the limited capacity, you can almost drive right down University before the strip and and have no problems. It's gonna be like Fan Day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gonna feel like Fan Day. That's what it's going to feel like as much as anything. Not even A-Day. I'm talking about Fan Day. And there's just nothing you can do to replace that intoxicating whiff of bourbon. You know, when you first get out of the car, when you park, Charlie, and you get that just first huff of sour mash, you know, old number seven, it's hard to replace that, man, when it comes to college football. But that's what we're looking at this season, I guess. Hey, Charlie, as always, appreciate the time here on the podcast. Always great stuff. I had fun with this one, you know, throwing around some scenarios. Passes the time. I mean, we got a lot of time this preseason, Charlie. Once the preseason finally got here, now we're in hurry up and wait mode. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the preseason for me, It's it's been strange. But now that we've entered week four, it's like time is flying by. Like you're yeah. you're looking at two weeks until kickoff coming up. That's that's a couple of days from now, and so it, it took a little bit of time to get the footing uh, and get used to all these things. But with these Zoom calls and and everything, it's it's starting to zoom by, and the season will hopefully be here before we know it. There you go. Well, Charlie, again, appreciate the time. Appreciate all your great work for us there at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? It's as easy as a click, and it's absolutely free wherever you consume podcasts. You can do it, whether that's Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, you name it. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again. Keep it locked at BamaOnline.com for continuing coverage of all things Crimson Tide. So long, everybody. <laughs>